Welcome to the Living Word Podcast. To find out what we're up to, check us out online at dlwc.network. Thanks for listening to the podcast. We hope it encourages and inspires you. Here's today's message. So we're in this series, and the series is called The Story of the Bible, not just Bible stories, but the story of the Bible. And this is really part two of that. And we'll review a couple of things that we did last time. I was so inspired by uh, Pastor Andy Stanley down in Atlanta uh, when I heard this. And I thought, you know, I heard this and I, I learned this when I was in Bible school and uh, studying, and I was amazed, and, and I thought to myself, you know, every believer needs these tools. Everybody needs to know and understand the, the value of their Bible and how you got it in the first place. And uh, most of us, we've heard Bible stories, but we don't know the story of the Bible because we were never told it. And it's a miraculous, powerful, powerful story. And so I'm going to be sharing that with you today. And, and let me, let, again, break out what I, what I got from a dear friend of mine. I'm going to mention his name, even though he's not going to like it. Fred Garber gave me this. And it's, a, it's a really an antique compass. And, and basically, the, the idea behind a compass is that the dial always points north. So you just arrange the thing in, in a way that wherever that, that needle's pointing, and it's going to take you to north for sure, so you'll know which way east is, south and west. And so it's important for us to understand that's exactly what the Word of God is. It's a compass for us. It's the ability to hit the reset button and find out what is God doing in the earth, what's He want in the earth, and how do I cooperate and the Word of God is that for us. It helps to send our lives in the right direction. And how many of you know the nation needs that right now? Amen. And so it's not just up to us to make up our own opinions about Christian faith with a couple of favorite verses that we may have. It's important for you to understand that the Bible's true even on the verses you don't like. Thank you for your enthusiasm. It's true. It's true. And so, again, many know the stories in the Bible. They don't know the story of the Bible. And the backstory helps us with history. I'll give you a couple of things that we talked about last week. And that is that, that the way that we got our Bible is not the way that the world got it, the Bible. And because it didn't come in, in English, it didn't come chapters and verses and footnotes and all those kind of things. And understand that, that the world got... The, the Bible through the history of the church, that Jesus was the reason the Bible was written. Amen. Amen. And if you don't know the backstory on this, it's easy to discount the, the stories that are actually in it. And so Jesus didn't write the Bible. It's important for you to know that. But he is the reason why it's written. And so once you get that, the story of the Bible doesn't start at Genesis. Now, understand from a chronological standpoint that, that Genesis is the beginning. And we're actually going to spend some time at the beginning in this message. But the, again, the, the, it starts somewhere in the middle. The story starts with the crucifixion and the discovery that Jesus Christ is alive from the dead. If, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, there would be no story. Are you with me? Because if he died and stayed dead, then his claims are not true, and he's just as normal as you and I. He's, he's, he's nobody of significance. The reason why we have the story is because Jesus rose from the dead. And so it's important for us to, to understand nothing would have been documented about the life of Jesus had he not risen. 
that the story would have never been told. His disciples would have been dispersed just like every other one that made false claims. And if he stayed dead and he was buried, why'd they bury him? Because he was dead. Why'd they go to anoint his body uh, after the burial? Because he was dead. But when the believers saw Jesus resurrected from the dead, they saw him with their eyes. Even the closest, I want you to understand, he was so brutally murdered that even his closest followers who watched him walk on water didn't believe he could come back from that one, even though he said so. And when he got up, I'm telling you, the very same people that, that watched him crucified they, and were in fear for their own lives abandoned him completely. We're next. And so out of here we go. They all abandoned him. But when they saw him risen from the dead, they ran right into those very same streets with boldness to declare, you killed him, but Jesus is alive from the dead. Amen? And that's the, that's the reason why. If the story ends at the cross, there is no story. But when hundreds of believers, not just 12, but when hundreds of believers saw him alive from the dead, they began to declare. Where did the church begin? The church began in the very same place that they had crucified the water-walking, dead-raising Son of God. And they saw him die there. Where did the church start? It started right in the very same streets. They could have been the very ones next to stand before the Sanhedrin and go the same route that the Lord did. The Bible said that they were unlearned and ignorant men, but they'd been with Jesus. Come on, you could tell they'd been with Jesus, amen. The resurrected version. Give me a good amen. 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 And so, so the events surrounding the Lord and all the different things that went on, it was a story that had to be told. And so everywhere the gospel was preached, uh, they, they took these, these letters, these these. Um, a d- documented accounts like Luke's account we talked about last week about how that they, they took this orderly account of the life of Jesus and, and they'd heard the gospel. They believed on Jesus throughout the, the entire Mediterranean rim. That, I mean, they'd heard and Gentiles started to get saved and, and it was a powerful thing. And, and, but, but when eyewitness accounts and written documents of the eyewitness accounts of the life of Jesus showed up, it brought such encouragement to the people that were there. They, they, they'd heard the stories, but now they've got the eyewitness accounts of those who, who are quoting what he said on the earth, and it's, and it's changing lives in a more significant way. And so that's the important part of what we talked about last, last time. We have, we have four different life accounts of the Lord Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and, and John. And we, we talked about those last week. And probably what you need to know is that, is that in an antiquity, that many of the, much of the ancient history that we have, those documents no longer even exist. That the history that we have today are references to documents that just disintegrated over time. And so understand when you've got four accounts of, of, of Jesus uh, and the life of the Lord, and they still exist today, I, I just want you to understand that this is, this is unusual in, in history. It's unique unto itself. And so because Jesus Christ rose from the dead, those documents were circulated throughout the Asia Minor and, and the, the Eastern Europe or the, the, the part of the Mediterranean there. And because of that, because of that, these documents were considered valuable and sacred. 
They were considered reliable. And all these, all these documents that were being circulated brought joy and, and faith as they, as they heard the words of Jesus. Later would be declared scripture. And so there was no Bible at this time. Just remember, there's no Bible. All there is is eyewitness accounts of what they've written circulated throughout the world. And so, and by the way, who would later on risk their lives to protect these documents, as we talked about last week. And so this is where we're going to pick up this week as we talk about the story of the Bible. Now, now the Apostle Paul's mission was to take the gospel to the Gentiles. He, he preached to the Jews for a long time. Matter of fact, the church was almost exclusively Jewish for the first decade of the life of the church. It was in Jerusalem, pretty much contained there. But Jesus told them in Acts chapter number 1, and it's quoted in Acts chapter number 1, that they were to take this and be a witness unto Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And it hadn't gone any farther than Jerusalem and, and around uh, among the Jews there. And so all of a sudden, Acts chapter number 10 shows up, and the Gentile world gets exposed to the gospel, and an explosion of gospel faith begins to happen among the Gentiles. No small stir among the Jews when that happened too, by the way. And so it's important to understand when the Apostle Paul took the gospel into the Gentile world, the Gentiles had a big struggle with what he was talking about. And, and, we'll, and we'll talk a great deal about this because of what Genesis actually says. But the biggest struggle that they had, that, that they had to give up everything that they had grown up believing is the Gentile world. They had to give up everything. And the, and the reason why, they all grew up in polytheism, which is many God concepts. In other words, there's a God for this, a God for that, and a God of this, and a God of that. As a matter of fact, you could make up your own gods. You could, you could actually carve out a God, have a household God, stick it on your, on your dresser and so forth and worship that until something bad happened and that God wasn't working for you. You could throw it in the fire and make another one. I mean, that's how, how crazy that whole thing was. But we weren't raised polytheistic, so it sounds maybe crazy, but the, the revolutionary idea was that there was one God. Not many. And in order, in order to, to become a Christian, you didn't just add Jesus to your list of gods. You got rid of all the rest of them and just worshipped him. And so, and, and the rest of the world was very much like that. And so with this idea, when they started preaching the gospel, I mean, they, they, the, the ancient world discovered that this, this ancient religion of the Jews, the backstory of Jesus actually incorporated this entire idea that every other nation, every other, they all had, every nation had its own God. Every tribe had their own God. Families had their own gods, like I said. And nobody really cared what God you worshipped. Matter of fact, we talked about it in the Roman Empire. As long as you tossed a little coin at Caesar and a little coin at some of the gods and so forth, that you were okay. They didn't care what, care what you did the rest of the time and so forth, as long as you just didn't denounce Caesar and, and the other gods. And so, again, nobody really cared. But Christianity said, no, you got to give up all those God ideas and this was a radical new idea. As a matter of fact, Christians, li listen to this now, Christians were considered in the first and second century to be atheists because they didn't believe in the gods. Isn't that something? And so this one God concept was a new and a novel sort of an idea, but it was absolutely a jolt to the entire Gentile world, the non-Jewish world. 
And so the, when the, the Gentiles became enamored with Jesus, they became enamored also with the idea of, of the, the Jewish book or the script that came out of the Jewish culture because so much of what Jesus said in these writings, especially Matthew, so much of the Old Testament was quoted. They wanted to find out where this came from. And now it, it, it's all, also imperative that you know they weren't interested in becoming Jewish. Not interested. And there were reasons for that. The reasons that they weren't really interested in they were interested in Jesus, just not Jewish. They wanted the backstory so that they could find Jesus in that story. And so, of course, he's prophesied all over the Old Covenant and so forth, but they didn't know that. So they became interested in the Jewish text, but not becoming Jewish. Because J Jews pretty much, to the Gentiles, the Jews kept to themselves. They ate different food. They refused to work on the Sabbath day. And then the Jews would always... Uh, refuse the Gentiles to marry their kids and their kids to marry the Gentile kids. And so they wouldn't allow that to happen. Matter of fact, G uh, it, it's talked about as, as Peter, I already told you that the Gentile world got the gospel through Peter. He wouldn't even go into a Gentile house until he had a supernatural experience and God showed him what God calls clean, don't you call unclean, go preach to the Gentiles. And so he had to show him supernaturally, even to break that off his life for him to even associate with Gentiles. And he's, he's born again and filled with the Holy Spirit and spe speaking in the power of God, but still cut off from the Gentiles because of his Jewish roots of separation. And so when the, when the Jews would even settle in certain places, they would pretty much keep to themselves because it was difficult to keep the law in the midst of an idolatrous culture. And so in order to preserve your own faith and your own heart, you kind of had to separate yourself, sanctify yourself from, from that whole thing. But Jesus changed the rules. How many of you thank God that he did? Even the initial promises that God made to Abraham, which we won't cover in any detail, but the promise that God made initially to Abraham, he says, I'm going to not only bless you, but I'm going to bless your seed, and through you all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And so it was even prophesied from the time that, that Abraham's whole journey started. And so it's interesting that, again, the Gentiles had no interest in the Jewish religion, uh, none at all until they were introduced into the life of Jesus and the eyewitness accounts of what happened in the life of Jesus and the, then to find out that who Jesus was quoting many times was the fact that he was clarifying the Old Testament into the hearers of the people that Jesus talked to. And so through those, those documents circulated, they became interested in the backstory of the Jewish text. And so Again, Judaism was not a deal, but they were interested in the text. And so when the scholars began to explore, I'm talking about first, second century study of these letters and third century, they began to, to, to really look with amazement and discover that in the Jewish religion, which by the way was the oldest religion that any of them knew of. I'll talk to you a little bit more about that here in a second. But it was older than Roman, uh, the, the religion of Rome, and older than the Greeks. And the, the Jews had always believed, as they were reading through the, the Old Testament text, they had always believed in one God. They had always believed it. That they, they never, from the very beginning, believed in a plurality of gods. Uh, unlike much of the Gentile world, all the Gentile world. And so... 
So uh, let, let's look a little bit into what I said last week. Do you remember that the, that the Christians were persecuted uh, in, in Roman rule, persecution, and, and weren't allowed to read the word and weren't, weren't allowed any Christian texts were found, they were martyred, and all those things, houses of worship were destroyed under the persecution that they went under. How many of you remember this? Okay. Now here's my question. They, the Christians were persecuted because they were considered atheists. They didn't believe in the gods, and they didn't throw coin towards Caesar. And so the Jews didn't do that either. The question I'm asking is, why didn't the Jews get persecuted like the Christians? And there's only one reason. One reason is because the Roman Empire and Rome itself had a, a huge appreciation for everything, all things ancient. And the oldest religion that they knew of, I mean, before, before any, anything that they, they knew of in the Roman, everything that they knew about the Jews was older. Their, their book, their religious writings, their, the, the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible, all of those things, they were all predated, all of the, all of the mythology and all of the religious things of the Romans and the Greek. It, it was before Romulus and Remus. It predates um, uh, even even the pantheon of Greek gods. It, it just trans trans. Uh, it was it was older than all of that, and so the Jews got a pass during that persecution. Isn't that something? That out of appreciation for that which is ancient and observing those ancient ideas, they got a pass. Now the ancient Jews got it right, and the Gentiles. As, as they were becoming Christians and beginning to study all of these things in the Jewish scripture, begin to explore that the Jews had it right from the very beginning, that there's just one God. And so once they began to understand that, they really began to dig in to the scriptures. The implication is that the world, the rest of the Gentile world got it wrong and that the Jews knew it from the very beginning. And so the first verse of the book of Genesis, as they, as they began to unfold and begin to look into the, into the book of Genesis, it, you, you find in the beginning, God. Now, it's, it's important to grab a hold of this. I'm going to share out of Genesis chapter number one today just to show you how the Old Testament got into your Bible. And that's what today's really all about. But Genesis chapter one, in the beginning, not in the beginning, God. Not in the beginning, the gods, but in the beginning, God. Genesis means origin, and in, in what the word means is origin. And like I said, the first five books were written by a guy named Moses. And so they're, they're studying all of this, and, and something happened in the early 20th century, and it caused doubt to the authenticity uh, or the veracity of Genesis, and what happened was that archaeologists began to find all kinds of different uh, writings, ancient writings, and they all seemed similar to what was written in Genesis. And so it cast some doubt on the, on the veracity of, of Genesis story, the creation story. And here's why they, they doubted that the Egyptian, Samaritan, and Babylonian writings, all of those things began to, they seemed similar. And so maybe the Hebrews we're actually borrowing the creation story from these other religions. And so all of a sudden it kind of cast doubt on whether or not the, that, that, that scripture was inspired by God. And so the idea, however, was abandoned 
by scholarship, it's, and it's widely been, uh, I'm talking about 20th century uh, archaeology, but the, it's been abandoned. All of that's been abandoned. And the reason why is that when you actually read the book of Genesis, it's nothing at all like those other stories, like, like nothing at all. And the, the difference in Genesis is actually quite startling in the difference that it was from the Babylonians or the Egyptians or whatever other writings that they had discovered. And so Genesis is a worldview unto itself, and I'm going to explore that just a little bit with you. This is the reason why it was incorporated into the Christian Bible is because it's the backstory of where Jesus was coming from. And so it's important to know that. And so scientists understand they, they, they fully catch up with Genesis. Scientific community is, is going to catch up. In, in 1927, there was a Belgian priest that actually came up with what he called the Big Bang Theory. Now, how many of you have heard that terminology? Big Bang Theory. And, and how many of you know creation, whether it made a noise or not, was a bang? <laughs> Are you with me? It started. But here's the idea that for, I mean, millennia, the Gentile world thought the universe had just always existed. That Aristotle, I mean, 400 years B.C., 400 years, Aristotle thought that the entire universe was just always there. Einstein thought the same thing. And so it, it just always existed until, until something happened. Because later on in 1964, the, many of you may have studied a little bit about this, but the cosmic microwave background radiation was, was discovered. And through that, that tool, they found out that the, the earth not only has an origin, but in a millisecond. I'm talking about a, a very tiny little portion of time that uh, in a space about as big as a pebble that the universe expanded at an extraordinary speed. And scientists can prove it. Hmm. And so suddenly the, the idea that the universe always existed was discredited and suddenly it had a beginning. And so the question that, that we have to, to ask ourselves is, who started it? Who lit the fire for the bang? And in the beginning was it, is there, see everything that's, that has a beginning has a cause. And so it's important, and, and so the argument is, or the, at least the, the debate is, is, is the cause personal? Is, is, is that something that, that you and I can relate to? Is it something that's important for us? Is there context in the reason why that we have a beginning? Is there a cause? And so, it's a, so again, I'm not going to get too tangled up in that, but... But it's important for us to understand that when the, the, when the Word of God was written, that Moses actually, he's not necessarily giving you a detailed account of how God created the universe. How many of you know that that would be a long study? But he did ju just put in there, God said, and it was. He didn't say what made that come to pass, just the God that spoke it and, it, and all of a sudden here it is. Creation came out of the mouth of God except when it came to man. I'll, I'll detail that here in just a few moments. But the Spirit moves upon the, on, the, on the nothingness, if you will, and suddenly God says and things begin to appear. And so, now Moses is writing 
if you'll understand this now, Moses is writing to a bunch of folks that have come out of 400 years of Egyptian bondage. Now, he's writing by inspiration the entire account, but he's having to write into the minds of those who've experienced Egyptian mythology. They've all kinds of strange ideas, pluralism, and all the different polytheisms that came out of that entire culture. And he's going to narrow their focus into the creation moments, if you will, to become re-believers. And so that, that re-believers sort of a thing, at, in, a, in other words, caused them to be atheists like they, like they were in the early church in the Roman Empire and so forth, to, to cause the people of the ancient world to actually become unbelievers of the Egyptian things. And, and by the way, they'd seen all kinds of magicians and black arts and all the different kind of things that happened in, in Egypt. You remember the, the Exodus story. And so they were coming out of that, and he was, he was telling them, no, God is God. Not Amon-Ra or Marduk, the Babylonian Marduk. It, he's, not, he's not any one of those that, that this is Yahweh. This is the Lord our God. And so in the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth. Not a borrowed story, not even similar. The Genesis is nothing like the Egyptian myths of other creation stories. Well, the, you, you, have, you have to understand, if you, and I don't know if you want to bore yourself with all the details and so forth. I look these kind of things up because I kind of have to. I'm interested, but, but the, in the ancient gods that they had... Uh, I mean, they were always, gods were warring with one another, and they would use body parts and make other gods out of them, and, and, and body fluids and make gods out of them. How many of you know this is a weird story? But I mean, this is where those ancient stories, this is what they said. It was, and it was just a, a, a lot of this kind of thing. And the gods were the big deal, and men were absolutely nothing. And so... Where the gods were doing all these kind of different things in the Enuma Elish, which is the Babylonian holy book, if you will, uh, that uh, you know the creation of man is in the fifth book, all the way into the fifth book of the Enuma Elish, and that mankind was really called or created to serve lazy gods. And that was the whole reason for mankind being created in the first place, to serve lazy gods, to raise up a barbarian who serves the interest so that we may be at ease. And so mankind was created for these lazy gods. And I just want you to understand, other creation myths, man is an afterthought within the creation stories. And so because of the embrace of, this, of these ancient mythologies, it caused the, the, the world of Gentiles to be a very barbaric, very merciless world where there was absolutely no human rights anywhere. And so no person had any kind of intrinsic value. But why? Because you were just to serve the entrance of lazy gods. And that was pretty much the story for everyone. And so violence and injustice of, of the, the gods made it justifiable for them to be violent and unjust themselves within their leadership. And so the world was a very difficult place to be, very merciless. And so they acted like the gods that they worshipped. And so then you come to the book of Genesis and you see this stark contrast between those other stories and what you find in the book of Genesis. There's absolutely no parallel anywhere in the creation of, of ancient stories. 
And what's next is absolutely unimaginable. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth is just, is just the beginning of the story. Genesis 1.26, and this is what the text records. And understand, these are Gentile new believers who are studying Old Testament scripture to find Jesus within the pages of where was the backstory, the context for the Lord. And this is what it says. That then God said, let us make man in our image. Wait a minute. These are Gentiles that, whose backstory for them is a plurality of God's carved images. You could carve your own God and worship it, and it would basically rule your life. And so in, instead, the Genesis story says, let us make man in our image. Not worship creation, but but you worship the God who made everything. Now that is a radical departure from anything these folks had ever been taught as they were grown up. And so to the Jewish text, man is the pinnacle of the creation of God. He's created in the image of God himself, not an afterthought. Which means that the dignity of every single person, every man, woman, boy, and girl is established from the very beginning, in the beginning of your Bible. That God creates a unique worldview. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And here's the, I mean, this is unthinkable within the culture of the Gentiles. Let us make man in our image after our likeness that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and the livestock and the wild animals and over all the cre- everything that's created that moves up along the ground. Not make gods out of their images, rule over them. Come on, somebody. In other words, God made them rulers or, if you will, stewards over everything that God had made. And it was unique, altogether unique, all together. And then verse 27, all right, brace yourselves, ladies. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Huh. See, even from the very beginning, women are elevated to a place of rulership. And I'm telling you, the world has tried to catch up with this idea for for millennia after millennia. But the dignity from the very beginning that God gave, not only to men, but to women and to his his mankind, is absolutely unlike anything that the the teachings of ancient world has ever, ever discovered. God says, I'm going to make you as close to my image and as close to me as I possibly can. I'm going to make you in my image. And so every man, woman, boy, and girl bear the image of the one that created us from the very beginning. And it's so, now it's important to understand in the Enuma Elish, that Babylonian ancient text, that you were born a slave to God, that you have absolutely no individual dignity, that you have no individual rights, that there's no redeemer and there's no afterlife. And that's the Enuma Elish. In the New Atheist, you have, you're a slave to your DNA, you have no free will, you have no redeemer, and there's no afterlife. Sound similar? 
Understand from the very beginning, we are introduced to a God who saves, who redeems, who delivers, who never gives up on us. That Genesis chapter number three, which I'm not going to read today, but Genesis chapter number three, God promises to right the ship after it's been wrong through a poor decision made by his man. Interesting that one day he'd send a redeemer all the way from Genesis chapter three. Don't you know that made the hearts of these Gentile new Christians studying the Old Testament scripture? Don't you, can't you see their eyes light up when they read Genesis three? And it just all of a sudden they were interested to dig into all the text that they had found throughout the Word of God. The unimaginable that God would even reverse the consequences to mankind's decision that chose against Him. How, how many of you are glad God's got tough skin? He wasn't too, so highly insulted that, that He wouldn't redeem us. Thank God for His love. Amen. And so Genesis chapter number one gives us, if you will, the context for human life. It gives us the context for our lives today to value one another. Hallelujah. We all started at the same place. We look very different. Our DNA is unique. Our fingerprints are unique. But understand, we all came from the same place. And so the big picture is, is our our big idea, the, big, the, the word for it is monotheism, this idea of one God. And, it, and, it, and it's answering for us the question of why. Why are we here and why do we even matter? See, all of these things are, are all university sort of things that are kicked around in philosophy class and, and ancient religions and, and all, study of the ancient world. And all of these ideas are, are kicked around. But all of these things answer questions for us. That are you here on purpose? God created you in his, to be his image bearers, if you will. To relate to not only one another, but to be able to relate to him. And so when the time was right. Whew, when everything was in place. Yahweh. The God of Genesis joined us. And don't you know. That those New Christians studying Old Testament scripture, finding all of this backstory in this Old Testament were absolutely thrilled that the, these first century believers and second century and third century believers, that the, the, the Jews had it right all along, that it, it only fueled their fire for, for getting more of the law and the prophets and the Old Testament scriptures into their lives. And so they moved very quickly to adopt the law and the prophets into their own Christian scripture. And so the stage was set for the Jewish scripture to be included in the Christian Bible. Now it's important for us to understand these, these are the concepts that these new, these new believers, and the reason why you've got an Old and a New Testament in your Bible is because of the things that I'm talking about right now. The reason why you even have an Old Testament included is it was the backstory that told of the coming of the Lord. Do you know there are thousands, I mean thousands of prophecies about the coming of the Messiah? Amen. And they were all there, and they began to discover them. They began to find them, discovering Jesus on every page, hungry after their hero and their God. 
And today, maybe there's that hunger. I mean, in the midst of pluralism and all the different things that are going on in the world around us and all the different things you can give your attention or devotion to, maybe it's the hunger of your heart to really know truth. It's the year of the Bible for us. Listen, like I said before, we all need one of these, a compass to help us find our way. And not only was the Word of God true when they were canonizing Scripture, but it's true today. Hebrews 13.8 says it this way, Jesus Christ the same, yesterday, today, and forever. And so today, maybe your heart is reaching out towards God who has no trouble even from the very beginning, you may have heard all kinds. Listen, you can hear all kinds of real cockamamie things on YouTube. How many of you know that's right? And YouTube and Twitter, don't get me started. But I want you to understand that today, one God sought after you in the fullness of time. God sent forth his only son, made of a woman, born of a woman, born under the law, that he may redeem those who are under the law, Galatians 5 says. And that's us. He came to redeem people like us, confused people, people that walked in darkness, people that have just done the best they can. God's not trying to blame you for what you don't know. He's trying to get to you what he knows and that he loves you and that he's got great plan for your life. And so today, it's, it's our opportunity to respond to him and respond to him in faith. Faith is stepping out on the information or the revelation that we get out of the word of God and actually making alternate changes in our lives. The more we understand this, the more we'll dig into it ourselves like they did in the early church. Now, for those of you who are already Christians, I, let me just tell you today that God wants to help to expand our faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Psalms 119 says that his word is a light unto our feet and a lamp unto our pathway. Ephesians chapter number 5 says that he washes his church in the washing of water by the word. And so in a filthy world, it's important to get washed in God's word. It's important to live a life that he wants. I mean, think about it for a second, the creation account. And then think about the life of Jesus that these people had. Think about their reality that they were coming to, that from the very beginning, the most ancient religion that anybody knew of, that then they started reading about Jesus who walked on the water and spoke to storms and they obeyed him. What manner of man is this, they said. It sounded like Genesis 1. And then for his church to be filled with the Holy Spirit and begin to do the same works that Jesus did? Absolutely astounding. Could it be that the God of Genesis and the Lord Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago could be the same today for you? And I'm telling you, he's the same. He's the God who changes lives and speaks to the storms of your life. He's still the Prince of Peace. He's still the author and finisher of our faith. And so today, open your heart and say yes to Jesus. Bow your heads with me. And those of you watching, bow your heads with me today. If you're in the room and you say, Pastor, I've never made Jesus the Lord of who I am, but I know I need him. My interest is up. 
But is it up enough at this point for you to say yes to Jesus? Please, Lord, come into my life and into my heart. Is he personal? Today I'm telling you that he is. And he changed my life and he can chain yours. He's not the God who was. He's the God who is. Today he's alive from the dead. And he'll come into your life. And he'll begin to help you to manage things. Straighten out the arguments in our heads and begin to give clarity to the direction of our lives. And he's as close as the mention of his name. We all have horrible failure to deal with. You say, yeah, that's been the subject of my psychiatry appointments that I've been making. I'm still trying to get over it. Friend, I can tell you right now, you can bury yesterday and come alive today. It's called being born again. And today can be that day for you. Today can be that day that you hit the reset button and start over again. Jesus took your failure, and here's the story. He nailed it to the cross. And then when Jesus rose from the dead, when he got up, you got up. Today, if you'll call upon the name of the Lord, resurrection life will hit your heart. And today, you'll raise with him into newness of life. And so if you're in the room today or if you're watching on the internet right now and you say, Pastor Pat, don't leave me out of that prayer. Pray for me. I want to do that today. If you're watching, you say, God's dealing with my heart. I know I'm supposed to pray. Well, right now, you call upon the name of the Lord with me. Right now, all of us together, pray this prayer with me. Dear God in heaven, I come in the name of Jesus. I believe in you. Thank you for dying in my place. You rose from the dead. Come live in my heart. I ask you by faith, please forgive my sin. Thank you, Lord, that you've paid the price for me to be forgiven I repent for my sin and I look to you to be the Lord of who I am now and forever in Jesus name amen amen God's good isn't he good amen Woo! hallelujah thanks for listening to this week's message be sure to follow us on Instagram at LWC Dayton and on Facebook at Living Word Dayton